I'm James Gortzman. I'm Kristen Cox. Welcome to the Art of Live Ops podcast. Hey, Kristen. Hey, James. I see we're talking to Ben today. My name is Ben Jones. I'm a creative director at Zenimax Online Studios uh, here in Baltimore, Maryland. I've been in the industry all of 20 years. I've worked on a, a ton of live games, a mod way back in the day called Day of Defeat. Uh, it's a huge games like Mag and Battlefield. So I've seen it all. Right now I'm working on a new AAA online game that will debut sometime in the future that we're all really, really excited about. He's got a long history in online games going all the way back to uh, a modding career in the early 2000s. So I think it's going to be a really interesting point of view. It's a good reminder that live games have been around for a long time. It's not just a recent phenomenon. Absolutely. And he, he's done a little bit of everything uh, at every scale. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting to chat with him and specifically about design and creative direction for online games and where that's going in the future. Cool. All right, let's jump into it. reasons we wanted to chat with you is I think you have a really interesting perspective on live ops because you did come from a a modding community early on and have sort of seen every single size of live ops I think there is to be had in the industry. And I'm curious just to hear a little bit more from you about your perspective on how live ops has changed from the time when you were very first making, you know, uh, live mods all the way to working on a, you know, giant AAA new IP. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, <laughs> the change has been enormous. The first thing that comes to mind for me is is in terms of package deployment, right? So actually getting your content out to end users. Um, and I think back to, you know, when we were just uh, doing data feed on our own before we were acquired by Valve, you know, it was just a matter of us packaging up those updates together and then me hand delivering them to dozens upon dozens upon dozens of websites with with patch notes and trying to get uh, mirroring up there for our updates and trying to get anybody and anybody to you know host those files so our users could see them and download them to where we are today, where almost all of that is driven at the platform level. Um, there's you know significant amount of consolidation there. I'm not reaching out to PC Gamer begging them to to host my update. <laughs> um, so that's that's a huge one right there. I think moreover, thinking about you know the dedicated departments and then the staffing now associated for for live operations at online companies. Almost every major publisher has, you know, massive departments that are supporting uh, these things now, you know, combined with uh, the platform holders themselves, um, you know, so like Steve on the Steam on the PC side, but uh, and then Epic Game Store and others, but obviously uh, Microsoft and, and Sony too, um, and the coordination of that staff in terms of deployment and long-form calendarization for first party is obviously a massive change. And then, you know, on top of that, uh, the availability of data, I think, is a really big one as well. Um, so, you know, the, our ability to harvest that data, the processing and the visualization of all that, um, and then the change management that occurs afterwards, right, where we're, we're looking at all of this data and determining uh, what to do um, to best serve our communities and our players. Well, one thing we've been talking about on other episodes is sort of the culture shift that goes on over the course of time in a studio as they get more and more used to running games to services. Because you've been doing this for your whole career, but many studios haven't. For many studios, this is still a relatively new shift, this idea that you're now sort of monetizing engagement and that games need to be you know, run as, 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 as communities, as services. What, um, 
what would you say, I guess, has been when, when, when the studios you work at now, you talked a lot about this, these bigger teams, these bigger investments. What do the, the modern tools and modern uh, sort of, you know, teams look like compared to when you first started out and you were first kind of figuring this out from, from first principles? Well, they're very different. Um, you know, I spoke to the scale change a minute ago, um, but I, I think it is it's a combination of a lot of factors. Um, and I, I think, you know, it, it also ties into the uh, the misconceptions that a lot of folks have about um, about live operations in general. Maybe we can get into that. But I, I think, you know, significant growth in personnel in terms of product management, uh, business intelligence, analytics, monetization, um, dedicated platform folks and services. Um, all of those folks are working together, you know, underneath this live ops umbrella with other groups like community as well, right, to really service this on a day-to-day uh, basis. And it's it's really integral to what we do, right? I think it's, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of data out there and we've always been able to, to get at least a, a piece of the pie, right? And I think now more than ever, we have a, almost a holistic representation of what our players are doing um, and can infer what they want through those various channels, um, so it's really about bringing that all together. And, you know, I think on going all the way back, right, to, to Day of Defeat, that was that was just a couple of us who were ingesting that and, and you know, looking at <laughs> looking at forums and trying to infer what what the really community was like resonating with and where we messed up and, and how we could do better. Um, and there are teams upon teams of people that are doing that now, you know, not just through the, the hard data that we're getting every day and, and processing, but you know, also folks in community too. I mean, this is, this is a, these are professions. I think that is the biggest thing. And, and, and we've really matured as an industry to a point where um, all of these are really viable, um, but they're also very, very necessary in terms of successful live operations. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, you're hitting on something there that's, um, that's a theme that we hear a lot from people like you who've been doing it for quite a while, right? Who, who sort of came up um, online, um, in online game development and game design. And I'm curious to hear, like you said, there's some misconceptions, um, which I've definitely experienced myself, like working with teams that are coming from a more sort of box product or single player um, history um, and culture. And I'm, I'm you're, you're saying, yes, there's all this investment, which absolutely there is, which is great. But there is still some misconceptions and I'm curious what you, what you see like the biggest misconceptions are and like how you sort of tackle that, especially with such big teams and big investments. Yeah. Great question. Um, well, I think, you know, there's a bunch, I, I think the first is probably, uh, the definition of live operations as a whole, right? You could probably, and I bet you have on this podcast series, talk to uh, a number of different people who will define it in a very different way. Absolutely. Part of that is good, right? Because it should be custom tailored to the needs of your studio and your audience. But part of that is also confusing when we're trying to collaborate and coordinate with with one another, right? Um, and you know, all of this is maturing in real time. Um, but there are a lot of people that look look at live operations and they're like, "Oh, you mean monetization?" It's like, well, yes, but not 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 purely, most certainly. Um, or oh, maybe you mean analytics, right? It's like, well, yeah, that's a piece of the pie too. Um, but it's really, as I was mentioning, where it, where it really all comes together. And I think that's that is part of the maturity that I think we're we're still lacking is 
um, you know, kind of uniformity of terms um, and getting an understanding of what each of these things really means is, is certainly a big misconception. Um, also, you know, I spoke about monetization. A lot of people just look at live ops, especially those who have traditionally been in, you know, offline games or single player focused games and just look at it as like, oh, that's just the means of making money. And most certainly that's that's a part of it, but it is that is not the focus, right? The focus is um, really alignment with the customer and our player base more than anything else and learning from them, right? And having an ongoing conversation with them so that we can improve the product. Um, that to me is the real opportunity of live operations. Whereas, you know, on a standard package product, uh, maybe you get a couple of updates or patches to improve things, but mostly the team is, is moving on after a period of time to focus on the next thing. Um, that's not what we do. You know, our focus, <laughs> the next thing for us is what's the next update for as long as we can make it viable. Um, and all of these components really feed into that. Well, let's let's follow that through into the rest of your studio. So you talked about the, the sheer size of a live ops team now and the investment that represents. But let's talk about how the rest of the game production team also changes. Like how, how are game production teams now, you know, the rest of the studio either set up differently or, or operate differently in order to to accommodate the the continuous updates you just described? That's that's a great question. Um, yeah, part of it, again, fits back into the scale that we talked about before, right? And in, in I look at the examples that we've had over the last couple of years, like even my time at EA um, and at Sony, how, how the scale of the community departments has grown significantly, right? Um, just because... Uh, of the of the needs of, of that paradigm it is it's shifted completely and what we're seeing now especially on, on social and primary channels is the community managers are front and center right whereas before they were a little bit in the background or maybe they had a moniker that people would you know interact with online a little bit but I mean, you know, for people like myself who live on Twitter, <laughs> the community managers are the face of the product a lot of times um, so that their importance there has really grown. Um, but I think it's overall, it's just it's just the sheer scale of things. It's what really blows me away. So, you know, for for Zoss, right, especially now where my team is has been built up from scratch and we have two teams working in parallel. Now, granted, only one of those is working on a live game, which is Elder Scrolls Online, but we'll be there uh, someday. Right. And, and we need to prepare in kind. Um, and that means a scaling of staff across all those groups that I managed earlier, um, which is a huge hurdle because they're also the most uh, in demand groups in game development. You know, especially when you're talking about DevOps engineers and, and really good analysts and, and PMs. I mean, they're just super, super hard to come by. I know because I've been trying to staff them for the last couple of years um, and we found good success there. But boy, it's tough out there. So, you know, I think it's. It's really all about finding what the fit of the product is, but the needs, especially at scale, when you're thinking about how um, how much more we do in terms of overall content and the cadence at which we're seeking to deploy that content, it's really night and day from where we were 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. Like when we think about live games, I think one of the surprising things uh, for me, I think, when I started interacting with a lot of teams that were um, not traditionally live ops teams was how small, how much smaller their design departments were uh, because the focus on content was quite different and how much less emphasis there was on content pipelining. Um, you know, in, in live games, there's so much that needs to happen 
to make sure you can efficiently create a lot of content that it ends up looking pretty different. It's been fascinating watching those teams scale because, yeah, like in the early 2000s, even, you know, big online games had much smaller – all games had much smaller teams back then. But um, online games as well just had much smaller teams. So I'm curious to talk – Sorry, I was like, is there a question there? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Scale has been crazy. Um, I am curious to talk with you as a designer, um, especially a designer who, you know, has worked your whole career in online games, how your relationship with data has changed um, over the years. It's, It's something we hear come up on this podcast a lot, this sort of some amount of tension sometimes between uh, design and data, um, especially for people who are sort of using it for the first time. But I'm really curious your perspective and how your relationship with data has changed and how you've seen overall, like across the industry, the relationship between designers and data has changed. Yeah, um, another excellent question. I, I, I feel like this is still something that we are struggling with to a degree, but I think at this point, the stigma has largely dissipated. Um, There's certainly some holdouts, but I think it's I think it's largely driven by an influx of, of people uh, coming into live operations for the first time, right? As opposed to significant resistance to uh, the usage of data to inform inform the job, right? Like as designers, we're um, inherently we want to trust our gut, and that's why it's important for us to get in the rooms with other people who are, are experts in their particular areas to tell us where we're wrong and how can we can be better, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But part of that for me is is getting the data, um, and most of the designers I trust kind of live by the mantra of like data informed, not data driven, and I think that comes from live ops um, working hand in hand uh, with with dev uh, to derive conclusions and, and suggest action items, right? And then once acted upon, development and specifically designers seeing the success that can be found when you're you're building uh, not just off instinct but also with data. And it brings me back to um, the first time I was able to really get my hands on some of these tools was when we were developing MAG. And we were looking you know, at one of the most common usages of data back in the day was, was heat maps, right? We'd look at where players went, um, what they did, where, where kills occurred, where objectives were reached, all that stuff. Um, and it really helped inform and, sh- and shape play and, and how we look to change things, especially uh, before launch, you know, when we were in betas or soft launch periods, um, but very much so afterwards, right, when we would get a swell of players helping to drive those conclusions. It's come a long, long way since then. And what's available to us is um, is very different now. But I, I think it's also uh, grown hand in hand with the expectations and the desires of, of designers um, for that data um, so that they can use it to validate assumptions or, you know, or or something else, right? It's it, it basically is a tool for you to use in a lot of different ways. Um, and I personally am very excited to have um, all those at our disposal today. I also want to ask, you mentioned the heat maps, but I'm also curious, like, I think sometimes you talk about data informing game design, and it seems very abstract to folks who haven't necessarily done it. Can you maybe give some other examples of maybe recent recent other questions you've asked that you've used data to help answer or just how you do use data on an on a ongoing basis as you plan your, your, your updates or changes? 
Like, what are some examples of actual, you know, queries you'd run? Yeah, I would love to get into some of the recent questions we asked, though I can't, <laughs> because we've had, been doing some recent playtesting internally um, that, that that has proved out very useful. But I think, you know, anecdotally, um, you, you can look at timing, I think, is a big thing, right? And and feel is something that is is very difficult to to gather data on, right? That's That's something that you know, intrinsically, we know as players and developers when something feels good. Um, so how do we correlate that with data um, is a big thing that we've really been pushing on. And, and a lot of that is derived through through questions associated with play, um, where we really dig into components um, and usage and then back that up with with video footage of, of players playing. I, like simple examples, boy, I can go back to on Medal of Honor, we were really pushing the envelope in a lot of ways with, uh, with user experience and UI. Um, and doing some things that that we thought were uh, were fresh and would like help us to push things forward. And what we found in user testing, um, based a lot of uh, not just by the feedback, but the data of time spent on screen or time to click, right? Where we were determining, okay, are players looking for the things to do? Are, right. <laughs> like, how long is it taking them to find the thing that they want? Um, and we found that those times were significant, and therefore we use that data um, to optimize flows, right, and page layouts and everything else. Um, you know, it's not just those kind of things. It's also eye tracking and other stuff all kind of fit into the picture. So that's, you know, that's when I talk about like uh, data informed. There's a lot of different types of data that are accessible to us. And it's up to us to kind of pull those in and gather perspective from them, but not rely too heavily on, on one data point, because um, that can obviously lead to failure in the same way that relying too heavily on your gut can. Live Ops is presented by Azure PlayFab. The future of Live Ops games is in the cloud. So why not power your game on the global, secure, and reliable Azure cloud? Microsoft Azure already delivers enterprise-level cloud services to thousands of game developers because Azure cloud gaming services are built by game developers for game developers. Find out what makes Azure the best cloud for gaming by visiting azure.com gaming. That's azure.com slash gaming, A-Z-U-R-E dot com slash gaming to learn more and get started for free. Welcome back. You're listening to The Art of Live Ops, where we're chatting today with Ben Jones, who's a creative director at Cinemax Online. A game designer who has been at the forefront of live games for his entire career, all the way from mods up through some of the biggest uh, MMOs of recent years. So let's jump back in and continue that conversation. You've had the opportunity to be very close to some games that have been successful for a long period of time and have gone through a lot of changes. I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit about what that looks like, right? Once something's out in the wild, you have a lot of player feedback, you're gathering telemetry, you're also gathering, you know, qualitative feedback from community. How does that for you as a creative director and designer help you sort of drive forward like the future of a game? What kinds of places you're taking that game? Because, you know, games that have been live for five years, 10 years plus, they really go on a long journey, and a lot of times we look back at them and go, wow, can you believe we started from here, and now we're all the way over here because of all this iteration? So I'm curious how um, how data and like player feedback helps you, you know, sort of direct a game forward. I love that. Um, I, I think about it a lot, and I think one thing that's really 
misunderstood about most games is that almost every almost every developer, regardless if it's a single player game or a live product, would love to continue to work on that game uh, for as long as they can. Right. A game is yeah. is never finished. It's never perfect. Um, and we always have a significant backlog of ideas and features and and components and stories that we want to tell um, whenever a game launches or goes live. Um, and, and I look at live operations as an opportunity to, as you're seeking to build those things over time, to look at your player data and determine when is the right time and how best to manifest, right? Because you, you've got a long roadmap, right? And mm-hmm. you may have the best idea ever for a feature, um, but players could be in the first three months clamoring for uh, a bunch of fixes that you didn't anticipate, or maybe they love an environment that you barely spent time on and you want to iterate on that and then and you know decide to spin up a bunch of similar things so that um, you can really hit upon what's been successful. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know it's really up to us to continue to gather this gather this data constantly and then align that against the roadmap and all those those things that we have in the backlog that we want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I often say to teams, nothing gets cut in live ops games. It just gets moved somewhere else on the roadmap. Right, right. Well, yeah, I and mean, sometimes you can do that to soften the blow too. With something, it's like we probably shouldn't ever do this, but let's, you know, we'll keep it on the backlog just in case. You never know. Well, and, and that's where I think live events are often very effective. I think live events often act as ways to try new ideas out and try things that are, you know, I don't know. If this is a design change we want to make permanently, but we can change it for this weekend and see what effect that has. Do you have any examples, maybe, of events where you've, you know, or, or how do you think of events as, as fitting into your own kind of plan for a game? Uh, well, I'll address the latter question first, and I would say 100% events play a huge role in, in live games, and they should if you're considering building one. Um, not only is it an opportunity to test out mechanics in a truncated time period like you like you just described, um, but it's also a way to calendarize your product, right, and ensure that um, regardless of, of what's happening out in the real world, that you have an in-game uh, index for it, right? Like you, you know, if <laughs> almost everybody has a has a holiday event the, these days, right? And it's really important that that you bring that into the fold. So, you know, I look at it as an opportunity to do a couple of things. One, 100 uh, percent test out uh, new ideas. That's that's a great great component for it. Um, two, right, connect your game to um, you know the. <laughs> the outdoors, the real world, um, and, and ensure that um, regardless of, of what uh, culture or background you come, that there, if you can, there's a there's an in-game celebration to correspond with that. I think that's that's really important um, if you know if you're seeking a, you know to to have a wide audience um, that to, that's engaged with your with your game. And three, it's really a great opportunity to re-engage your, your player base, right? If there's, or, or three rather, I don't even know what numbers I'm using anymore. It's been a long day. Uh, <laughs> but it's a great opportunity to, to re-engage and invigorate um, your community um, at certain key points, right? So you can look at your calendar and say, well, hey, you know, we didn't, we didn't uh, we're not going to be able to ship the update uh, this month like we thought we were. There are a couple of things that we needed to fix instead. Why don't we pull forward this event that we have in the can for next month or next quarter or whatever it is, and we'll use that um, as an opportunity to engage with our players and make sure that they have something new and fresh and fun to play. So, you know, I think they play a very, very strong role, not just now, but I think looking forward to the future, um, they're going to become more and more important as we as we become even more calendarized with our products, um, as we really understand the, the cost 
um, that it takes to get live. And we're working well in advance with various components. Yeah, I love that. I think it's just fantastic advice. As you said, like live events are so important to games and for all the reasons you just mentioned. And I, I mean, also, I think they're just so important to community development, like having shared history in a community. It's so important for a community to be able to tell its story about itself and have those touch points in, you know, on a timeline to say, oh, yeah, remember when this event happened and then this happened and that was something that was important to the game. Yeah. Um, and I do think that you know, teams that are looking to launch live games, like this is an area where um, a lot of teams that I work with, I'm always saying, you put more effort into this, build out those tools for live events, be ready to run them. Like you just mentioned something like having one in the can. Like it's, it is, but really challenging for teams to get to that place. And it really takes a lot of effort. Yeah. And I mean, I wasn't here for a lot of it, but, uh, you know, having worked with so many now who who spend every day on Elder Scrolls Online, it took them a long time to get there, too. Right. They're an amazing place right now in terms of of their flexibility and their standardization. But, you know, that was certainly not the case out the out the gate. Um, So, you know, we're all learning as a development community, but I think that learning will continue on a product to product level. You can only be so ready at launch. Right. And I think it's about being open to learning, continuing to do so um, and evolving your processes so that you could, uh, you know, you could advance the product and continue to serve your communities in the best way possible. I love what you just mentioned about having like giving players something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, that's a huge evolution over, over the course of the last 10 years is um, the publishing of public roadmaps. Mm-hmm. Right. And what that takes in terms of guts. Uh, from a developer and confidence that you have in your group to get something like that out there. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then when you know you have to change it, right. Like ha- being open to that conversation with your community. Um, it's really important, but, but the benefit of that of course, is that your players have something really clear to look forward to and hopefully a ton of things mm-hmm. right over a period of time. Um, and that gives them an opportunity to think about re-engaging with your product, which I think is becoming more and more important, right. As, as playtime is sucked up and, and, you know, there's just so many, so many amazing games out there today. I'm sure everybody on this, uh, on this chat today has a, has a pretty substantial backlog. It's really important that you gain mind share with your players about, Hey, when's a really great time to come back? I know this game that you love just came out and you're probably going to sink 200 hours into that, but don't forget like three weeks from now, we're having this event, which you really loved last year, right? That kind of conversation is really important in, in terms of, of terms of gaming mindshare and, and, and just reminding your folks of why your game is great, right? Even if they step away for a period of time. So talking about keeping the game fresh, what about user-generated content? Have you spent much time or have you done much design work yourself with games that encourage players to create their own content and, and share it with others? Well, I mean, I <laughs> I got my start in this business uh, doing one of those. I mean, the, the people at Valve were generous enough to open things up on Half-Life um, and enable uh, a mod community that is still thriving today. Um, you know, so it's that was obviously very, very important uh, for, for my career. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think my time at, uh, you know, at EA and Sony and everything else was relatively limited in terms of UGC, just because we had kind of a walled garden approach on some of those products. But, you know, I'm at Cinemax now it's, that's an important thing for us, even if it doesn't manifest on all of our games, like you, you know, it's, it's obviously very important to Todd Howard, right. And, and the games that he builds. Um, and I think it's important part of, 
uh, of the game community as well, that, that there are products that have those opportunities. Because I think that um, just as we've seen, boy, I just think about back to H1Z1 just a couple of years ago, um, the opportunities to create something substantial um, using using mod tools or using user-generated content still exists. And that's where some of the best ideas in the industry are, are coming out of, right? Like just industry-defining ideas because it's an easy way for new creators or creators that don't have significant means or entire teams at their disposal to try something out and see if it gains traction. So, you know, I, I think it's really, really important. Um, and, and I'm glad to see that there are still developers out there who are looking to support user-generated content. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I am sort of curious to dig in just a little bit into this because of your background. Um, I feel like there's been this community around modding for a very, very long time in games that has been so fantastic for the industry, as you said, for many reasons. But I think we're just now starting to emerge into a place where we're having much more formal conversations about compensation around that work and like how you know marketplaces or platforms should operate um, for people that are engaging in that space. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, you know not necessarily trying to pin you down on anything, but I'm just curious for your general thoughts around where we are with with platforms, discoverability, and sort of um, creator compensation. Boy, well, discoverability is a tough one, right? Um, it's very difficult to stand out in almost any medium at this point. Um, and generally that involves getting in early with a new platform and making your mark right away. Um, it's really, really difficult to rise through the ranks um, it takes a lot of time and dedication. I mean, I think I, I think about a game like Among Us, mm-hmm. right, that had been out for years yeah. before it gained in, in popularity and, and really took off. That's the kind of environment that we are in today. It's very, very congested. In terms of compensation, my hope is that the development community can find ways to, to compensate people properly um, for their hard efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think Epic has done a pretty good job of this of late mm-hmm. on both ends, really, right? Sponsoring the creation of, of unique content and giving a lot of individuals and teams opportunities that might not have it likewise. But, but also, you know, ensuring that they get their, their fair share of things So once that, that game reaches the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's an evolving conversation. There's going to be more and more of that. And I love... I love the thought of independent creators generating content that makes its way into the game, right? That is then finds its way into a marketplace that they're getting uh, a good stake in, right? Right, and 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 making it as equitable as possible. I would love to see that future. I, I you know, I'm eyes wide open on this stuff and really interested to see what happens. Um, but my hope is that there are platforms and games that are creating opportunities for individual creators. Um, to be paid for their work um, and not merely celebrated. Dare I ask about NFTs and whether you've you've been following any of the recent activity with 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 actual explicit payment mechanisms and open marketplaces on 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 gaming? They, they seem to be very divisive right now. Some people think this is the next big thing. Others are very dismissive of of where NFTs are in gaming today. I think a lot of what we see today is speculation and pay to pay to you know so called. Uh, uh, pay to earn, but I or play to earn. But I do think that that's that's just where we are now, and it's going to evolve over time as we get more familiar with these tools and start to figure out and map out the design space. Because I do think it's a very wide and and rich de- design space that we're creating. We just we just we're the early days of it. I, I would one hundred percent agree that we're in the early days of it, and uh, and also that it is quite divisive. But um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm watching the space very closely. Um, I think it's fascinating, um, and I think. I think that there are opportunities for players 
um, to hold on to things that they pay for, or they earn, and for that to have meaning long term. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I'm entirely sold on the concept of the metaverse or who might create it, but I think there are there are elements in between that might take uh, take shape over the course of the next couple of years that have a lot of merit and could see individuals benefiting not just from their creations but perhaps from their purchases. And I know that NFTs, uh, you know, <laughs> you throw that around there, right? Wow, you're going to get a lot of sc- like scowls in the development community. Yeah. Um, but I think it's so nascent. Um, and I, I think people's understanding of, of the potential is relatively limited and very focused on their uh, on their current frame of mind. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated to see where things evolve. And, and I hope that they do in the right way. Right. Like uh, some of some of the use cases right now, I, I'm just. Even I kind of look at it with you know, my eyes glaze over um, with some of the numbers involved and, and everything else. Um, but I think there's a there's a balance point to be found there. So I'm very interested to see what what happens over the course of the next couple of years. Oh, listen, I mean, given the opportunity, I could probably talk for hours with other people who are uh, sort of in the early virtual world space about what metaverse means, but maybe, maybe right. <laughs> for, maybe for another time, um, we're, we're starting to get to the end of our time here and we want to make sure we ask you our favorite questions. We ask this to everybody who's on, on the show. Um, can you share a live ops disaster the, with us, either one you've personally been involved in or on the peripheral of, we, we really love to hear them. They're always, they're always interesting. And I think they also keep us humble and remember, remind everyone that even people who have been doing it for a long time and doing it really well, everyone, everyone's got a story. Uh, I have a bunch. Um, all the ones that are creeping into my head right now are all ESO related. And I feel like those are other, there's a, other stories. So I'll let them tell them. I'll, I'll go all the way back. I'll, I'll go all the way back. Um, and, you know, with with live ops in quotes um, and, and think about uh, our time on day of defeat. And um, uh, I had put an interesting, interesting deal together with PC Gamer uh, to roll out our 2.0 patch for day of defeat, which was a big deal. Lots of new functionality, lots of new maps. Um, it was it was the biggest release that we were going to have up to that point, obviously. And we did a deal where we were going to be, you know, on the cover and um, have the entire back sleeve taken up. And they were going to ship the, you know, their their CD uh, that came with the magazine uh, with us all over it. Right. Right. And featuring this update. And so we got the deal done. And then just a few weeks later, uh, realized that. Uh, holy crap, uh, the build that we sent to them um, had some critical errors that uh, would basically boot people from the servers or allow them to not play the game as soon as they updated (laughs) instead of the intention, which was to obviously get them the latest and greatest and then they're playing with their friends. So we had to work out something with uh, with PC Gamer (laughs) to to ship a uh, an incremental um, on their next CD, uh, which basically they had never done before. Oh, man. Um, and obviously now is a much, much easier prospect, but yeah, that, uh, that did not ring well with the team. And I don't think we did that again afterwards, <laughs> but, uh, great, great lesson, uh, to be learned there for us. Um, and, uh, boy, <laughs> that was, Ooh. that was a rough one, uh, for anybody who picked up, uh, picked up the game from, from PC gamer. But, you know, thankfully there were a few other places at that time where you were able to download the game itself. I bet PC gamer was thrilled too. Mm. 
<laughs> oh, they, they were over the moon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so interesting, though, to think about that. You know, you're just talking about all these distribution sort of challenges that we used to have um, that are in, in a lot of ways gone now. Although I will say, having worked um, significantly in China, still exist in some parts of the world um, lots of fracture, fractured um Deployment yeah, uh, platforms and deployment things like that, and I'm, I'm actually quite curious what will happen in, uh, in the mobile and cloud space going forward as far as that's concerned. Because it, it, it can sometimes feel like oh, we've got all that worked out, but I think there's actually still a lot of change coming. Yeah, I think there's a ton of change coming. I mean, in the coming years, I think what we'll see in terms of trends, you know, more frequent updates across more products, right? Like we're we're getting more versed in this and and have a better understanding of what it takes. We'll be able to get more content out there to players. And, and also players seeing content that more closely suits, suits their needs and wants, right? So finding ways to surface individual components um, to players, I think, is going to be really important. Significant learnings from, from today's, you know, market leaders, right, who are driving trends right now um, are going to be seen, I think, in bits and pieces across the majority of online games. Um, it takes a lot to replicate an Apex Legends or a Fortnite, but there are, tr- there are things that you can learn from that process um, and apply to your game right away. Um, and also reduce downtime mm-hmm. uh, and better preparation for scale on demand, right? Absolutely. Um, which were two of the biggest things that, that hit any online game um, looking to come to the marketplace. So um, I think we'll see all of those evolve over the course of the next couple of years. And I'm really excited for that future because um, as a player, that means stability, right? That means uh, really clear expectations. Yeah. Um, the, the most frustrating thing can be, you know, going to going to play a game with your friends and for whatever reason, the, the patch didn't push, you know, despite your auto downloading settings yep. and I'm sitting there for hours trying to get the latest, you know, 500 gig update. Um, and I end up not even be able to play with my friends that night. Right. So, um, finding ways to, uh, to change that and improve that experience, I think will be key uh, in the coming years. Well, thank you so much, Ben. This has been a fantastic, uh, a fantastic interview. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Perfect. Well, hey, thank you all for reaching out. This was great. Happy to chat anytime. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Art of Live Ops podcast. If you liked what you heard, remember to rate, review, and subscribe so others can find us. And visit playfab.com for more information on solutions for all your Live Ops needs. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.